electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber, coming to you live from separate locations. It is risk off today. As futures suggest, we'll unwind some of the historic rally of the past three weeks. We got that reality check from the Fed. Nine states with strong increases in COVID. 1.5 million jobless claims this morning. Oil's below 37, and the VIX, Jim, above 31, is going to take you back to mid-May. Yeah, look, we saw the market rally and the VIX rally uh, uh, earlier this week, and that's an, uh, just a terrible sign uh, because they're supposed to go, obviously, in the opposite direction because the, the VIX is the fear gauge. When we've had that, it has presaged some, uh, some pretty severe downturns. That said, when we're as overbought as we are, believe it or not, it's actually good. We went, I went back till 1985. When you have periods where you are as overbought as we were, you tend to have 3% corrections and no more. Uh, so let's have the 3% correction. Uh, let's watch out for the stocks that were Davy Day traded. Uh, and that's uh, David Portnoy, who became the most important uh, force, I believe, in the market by gunning uh, the cruise ships and, and, uh, and gunning the airlines, uh, oils, or at least his cohort was doing so. I'm watching, the, <laughs> I'm watching the Robin Hood margin figures again. This is what we have to do. If we continue to think that this market is being run by people who trade through Goldman Sachs, we're fools. The people who are active are the people trading the retail, they're trading the cruise, they're trading the airline, they're trading the low price oils. And it's fun for them. And I think it's great. A lot of them use margin. There's big margin calls uh, coming. Uh, but the market became fun. Now, I think the reality is, and David, I think you know this market well, fun is good when the stocks are going up. Always, always. And right. then it uh, doesn't become fun or, uh, you know, well, back in the day that I recall most lucidly, of course, was the late 90s, the dot-com craze, where we would sit there and talk about valuation. And by the way, stocks just continue to go up for right. years in the face of what was uh, seemingly no business plans in many of these companies, no path to profitability, Jim. I only bring it up because back then I'd actually get hate mail that was in the mail. Yes. Uh, now, of course, it's Twitter. It's it, that people don't even use uh, email anymore. It's, it's mostly Twitter that we see that. But it is those people who are no longer having fun that are upset by it. It is interesting, though, Jim, and I'm curious to get your thoughts here and Carl's as well. You know, is this cohort going to stick around? Is this, no, no. It's waiting this, for basketball. Are they going to be with us for a while? No. When the you new get, retail. When you, get the camp, uh, when you get the camps, when you get the, the uh, camps for football, these people will move on. They'll go back to trying to figure out uh, whether you should uh, uh, who do you draft first, uh, a running back, maybe draft wide receivers. I mean, this market is looking at at Carnival Cruise Line, and I think it's trying to figure out Carnival Cruise Line versus, say, uh, uh, Zeke, um, uh, you know, Norwegian versus, say, uh, uh, Carson Wentz. 
And so when you get that and you start getting the draft, the draft kings back, that stock has been very hot. I think that we'll see where Carnival and Norwegian trade, but it was a, it's a proxy. Hey, these people need something to do. I mean, can you blame them? What? There's no sports. This is good. Uh, well, it's good when sports come back. But yes, David, uh, we are all to blame. Yesterday, I, I told you I felt that the airlines were overvalued. Mia culpa kind of wrecked the game. I'm sorry. Mm. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, you, you know, you, you can only say it doesn't mean that it's necessarily true. No, but and we did it's point not out us. that American Airlines enterprise value was above where it was pre-COVID, given obviously all no. the debt they've added and the, rec- the resurgence in the stock price. Not the case today, no. Carl, at all, as we watch significant weakness overall in the market and the airlines taking the brunt, to, well, not the brunt of it, but a lot of it. We'll keep an eye on the financials, too, yeah. given the Fed yesterday and the weakness they saw yesterday. Yeah, JP Morgan yep. trades uh, like down small 9%. cap stock. Right. Uh, Boeing down 9% this morning is going to weigh heavily on the Dow, Jim. But your point about uh, the Robinhood traders, I guess, or the Poitnor traders right. uh, going away, I mean, it's not like commissions are going back above zero. And it's no. not like you can't make these trades on your way to work on your phone. No, but I mean, I saw us looking at the Robinhood, uh, the Googling Robinhood margin call. It's skyrocketing. That's another way to measure what's going on and. Uh, now, what's interesting, of course, is you could say, well, wait a second. What are you talking about? You're talking about American. I mean, Apple's going to be down a lot. NVIDIA is going to be down a lot. Well, everything could be down. I mean, we've had a big run. And when you listen to the employment figures, they've meant very little. Last Friday, we had another spike up. Uh, it, there's just been a, a, a happiness trade that has been out of sync with everything, whether it be hot spots in Arizona or, or whether it be uh, unemployment or whether it be the higher price of food. So I think you just have to kind of let it come down and see whether the whether there's anything left of the day traders after they have their margin calls. Uh, in fact, we're going to fill the gap, Jim, uh, from Friday's jobs number, which, of course, we all know uh, was uh, was better than expected. Uh, you mentioned the spike in cases. Uh, we got at least nine states with strong increases in, in cases. Uh, Texas hospitalizations are up 42 since Memorial Day. How much of that is a factor separate from uh, the generation of day traders? Well, I, I think there's a lot of people who are in denial. Uh, the people say, listen, that's what happens when you start testing more. The hospitalizations uh, don't it, they're not really up. Well, that's not true. The hospitalizations are up. And I think that one of the things that went right in New Jersey and New York is we started wearing masks. We did a lot of social distancing and we saw the result. The result was good. I think that we were regarded as people who were um, uh, overreacting by the rest of the country. Uh, and there are people in Georgia, for instance, uh, it's been wide open and there's been no spike. Uh, Florida was supposed to have big spike, uh, but they understood how to handle nursing homes. Uh, we didn't in New York. And there are a lot of companies, whether it be Eli Lilly with a monoclonal antibody, Regeneron with a, uh, putting together a cocktail, could make it so things aren't so bad. But it's just the kind of thing that uh, with the market up high, you would have expected that what was happening was that all of all of California was having like San Francisco, which is that no new cases. It's the opposite. So I think we have to watch it. But I don't think it's going to be ever be like New York and, and New Jersey again, because in New York, New Jersey, we thought it was a respiratory illness and we treated it wrong. And it's not our fault. It was a novel Corona thing. No one knew what to do, but they did make a lot of mistakes. And the race is on for the vaccine, the monoclonal antibodies. I think we're in better shape. Uh, I also love the fact that Jay Powell gave you one of those answers, which he said, we're not thinking about interest rates. We're not even thinking about thinking of interest rate hike, which I thought was one of Jay's greatest moments. 
I've got three J's. I got yeah. Johnson. I got Johnson. I got J. All three of them go on our way. So don't don't panic and leave unless you're uh, on margin and you've been a David Day trading American and uh, and uh, Norwegian or whatever. I mean, because we learned from David yesterday, he gave us a, he said that Buffett was. Did he call Buffett an idiot? No, no, he didn't call. He just said Buffett got the airlines wrong. No, he said he was better than Buffett. Well, like, no, of course he's better than Buffett. What do you like? Hey, yeah. Wake up and smell the coffee, Carl. He's much better than Buffett because he told us that. But you know, there again, I mean, right. I love this line. David, this is one of your lines. Why take profits yeah. when every airline uh, stock is up 20 goes up 20% every day? David, you've always taught me this. Losers take profits. Wasn't that one of your watchwords from way back, like when you were nine? <laughs> yeah. How'd you know, Jim? Right. Yeah. Isn't that Jamie yeah. Dimon? He's always uh, telling he- you that, right? Losers take profits. Always, always. One of his one of his one of his many mantras. Does that guy Portnoy still do pizza reviews in the middle of all this? Or is he giving the best pizza reviews in the world? And I know that because I got a good rating in my pizza place. But David, I'm just really talking about how Buffett blew out of the airlines at the bottom and how, you know, Buffett. What's Buffett thinking about the football season? Because I know that Dave that Portnoy knows how to play football. I wonder whether Buffett's even in there. Bet you Buffett doesn't even know what Bu- right. fantasy Buffett is. Or uh, Drunken Miller, of course, who admitted that he got it wrong early, or, yeah. or your friend David Tepper. Or I mean, there are any number of people that we follow closely for the good smarter reason the dumber. Who, are, who were negative during right? this. The smarter but the by dumber. the way, as well, uh, Jim, every day that we've been on of late, it's not as though cases, COVID cases in the U.S. have dropped dramatically. They no. plateaued, and that includes, of course, the, the, the steep drop in the New York area. Uh, but it's a back. It's a background. It's been background noise. It's not as though yeah. the U.S. economy is going to close again. I think we can both agree that's highly unlikely to happen ever again at this point. And so it's it's just going to continue to move forward. And there's going to be a certain group of people who simply will not uh, be able to expose themselves uh, fully to participating in the world. You know, what I think Carl's interesting is, is that uh, there are places where crowds are. There are signs in our building. Don't congregate. Uh, and then I think there's signs in uh, parts of the of Miami which say congregate. Uh, I uh, we are unable in most restaurants to be able to make a profit uh, with half the tables. But because of uh, of uh, Grubhub, uh, we have been able to the people who have takeout have been able to make money. And that's why I think that, David, I know once again, you canceled your vacation for the show, uh, which shows I- 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 incredible dedication uh, but uh, yes, Grubhub made a very big deal today, and that's going to be important because the way that restaurants yes. work, the way that retail works, including Amazon, is is don't come to the store contactless. Hey, by the way, you know, the cruise lines, uh, they've been hot, but they're not cruising. Uh, does that matter? Uh, well, you would think it does. You would think <laughs> it does. I, I fooled that, you. That, the that, answer's that. no. <laughs> As we take a look at shares of Grubhub, which are going to be up, Just Eats obviously got battered yesterday once they announced the deal, that being that stock. It does require a shareholder vote, although their largest shareholder, their founder at 11 percent, is going to vote in favor. Uh, we're going to be speaking, as you saw, to Matt Maloney around 935 Eastern time today, of course, about this deal, uh, which we can talk a bit more on, I think, uh, in our next segment. But uh, but there is a little M&A out there. They finally got it done. We'll see as well how Uber performs today, given uh, they did not succeed uh, in getting to the finish line with Grubhub. 
I cannot believe that Uber didn't do it. Would have been so great for Uber. They needed consolidation. What a mistake. What a mistake. No guts, no glory. Uh, we'll, t- we'll talk more about that, guys, after the break, uh, along with a um, slew of calls out today on Apple, on Starbucks, on Pulte Home, uh, Campbell Soup, uh, General Mills, Kellogg, and a lot more when uh, Squawk on the Street continues in just a moment. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Got claims and uh, got some other numbers out this morning as well. Let's get to Rick Santelli. Hi, Carl. Yes, indeed. Claims dropped. Uh, initial claims for the 10th week in a row down. But one and a half million is still a big number. And that seems to be the rub, even though we have seen the rate of change moving in a positive direction. Uh, PPI was a bit elevated, but there are some distortions there between food and energy. Suffice it to say that this next chart should give you all the information you need. This chart starts on Friday, Unemployment Friday. Look at rates. They were over 90. They actually reached 95 basis points. Look at how it's moved steadily lower every day, going into the Fed meeting and accelerated, of course. And then let's jump ahead to the week leading into the employment report. Well, the other side of the mountain, it climbed up pretty much every session. So this is fascinating to pay attention to because the market's going to start to get different rhythms based on what we know and absolutely what we don't know. Hey, there's always good reason not to use percentages and statistics. I'll give you one. Here's a chart starting on Friday, Jobs Friday, for the boon. The boon reached minus 26 basis points that day. Right now it's hovering at minus 40, which means rates have dropped 53% in four sessions. 53% in four sessions, 14 basis points against minus 26 basis points. And finally, foreign exchange. You know, risk on, risk off is a big deal. And everybody's talking about the dollar index weakness, how many days in a row it was down. I was leading that charge. But today it's up a bit as you look on the 24-hour chart. As a matter of fact, there's two peaks there, twin peaks. And both those are very close to unchanged on the year, around 96.40. The reason? Well, risk off is going to be in the dollar's benefit. Risk on, the rest of the globe somewhat ignores the U.S. and goes on their own merry way to positive numbers. That is something to pay close attention to. Carl, Jim, David, all three of you, back to you. All right, Rick, uh, we'll see you a little bit later on. Uh, as we said earlier, futures are weak. We haven't had a 3% sell-off on the Dow since April 1. For the S&P, it was April 21. But we'll see what happens when the opening bell rings in just under 15 minutes. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, 
and Judy Woodruff come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Futures are weak this morning. In a moment, we'll talk to the Treasury Secretary, Stephen Mnuchin, a day after he talked to Senate Small Business and said he would seriously consider more direct payments to individuals. We'll drill down on that and a lot more when we talk to him in just a moment. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Let's get in a mad dash now. We've been focused on Wells Fargo for a number of weeks here, sort of, Jim, as a reflection of the overall sentiment in the market. Obviously, yesterday, the bank's down on those comments from Powell. It's your feature this morning. Morgan Stanley, uh, talking about a dividend cut, David, 51 cents going to 30 cents. Betsy Grass, a very good analyst. Now, it's been a long time since we've seen uh, a company in a group where the dividends have been steadily rising, where we hear about a cut. Now, Charlie Scharf, the CEO, has been noticeably silent Uh, Stock went from 22 to 32, and everyone said, you know what, Uh, it's in good shape. Charlie bought some stock, uh, a lot of stock in the 27, 28 region. But uh, uh, this stock's not ready for a dividend cut. And uh, the group has been too hot. Uh, J.P. Morgan up six, uh, Citi running a quick 20 points. And I I think that this is going to uh, be the thing that knocks this group down. Uh, uh, I don't think I do think it's isolated. But I think it's important to point out that Wells did a lot of things that nobody thought were any good. Uh, but it's never hurt them. It's never hurt them. Uh, here it seems to be coming home to roost. So be careful, Wells. Do you think that a dividend cut? I mean, you'd expect Mr. Scharf to be quiet on the matter. There's no reason to comment, I guess, Jim, one way or the other on speculation about the dividend. You want to give yourself optionality. But what do you think? You know, I, I think he's got a really good board. It's his own board. I think that he's getting out of, of some risky lending. I think that their oil uh, portfolio has done much better since oil's come back. Uh, could he do a reset and start right now uh, and uh, and cut the dividend and then work its way back up? I don't know. Uh, you know it's a sign of weakness when you cut a bank dividend. And then the, uh, the sharks come out and the sharks circle. Uh, so I think that... Uh, you got to hope that he can come out and say, you know what, I've spoken with the board and the board feels right now we're comfortable with this level. Uh, because if you get a dividend cut, the stock can go back to 22 pretty easily. Yeah. Well, Carl, there are people who say, obviously, that you're not going to get the economy fully rebounding uh, unless the banks come along. You know, they are sort of a reflection of overall economic growth. And we've yes. been keeping a close eye on the financials for many reasons, including that. Yeah. Uh, and that, Jim, why was, was why uh, Powell's uh, Q&A yesterday was so critical. I mean, not just talking about two more years of zero rates, but in Mohammed Al-Aryan's view, his lack of detail in the Q&A has not dissuaded investors from thinking that uh, there are assets on the periphery of the envelope that gets protected that could be saved if, in fact, things go south. That's a big part of Valerian's thesis right now. I heard someone speaking yesterday talking about how uh, that he has to buy common stocks. And I was thinking, well, wait a second. We, we have all time highs. I don't want Powell in there buying. <laughs> by the way, what is he like a top tick Tesla? What's he, you know, is this the time that Powell says, you know what, NVIDIA, let's take some down? I mean, you know what? It was kind of like Navin Johnson was speaking. 
I mean, it's really incredible. It's the cans. It's the cans by Tesla. I mean, honestly, can we just admit that that part of the market's doing fine? Uh, it, it, what it does worry uh, to me is uh, Meg Terrell's reporting is more important than what the Fed chief says. I mean, we got to have Lilly work or we have to have Regeneron work or we have to have Moderna work or we have to have Merck work. Something got to work, OK, because if we get that, then we're going to go back to the way it was. And we don't have to be so focused on uh, every minute of our lives. I mean, we had a backyard party the other day at my place. Why? Because uh, Governor Murphy said you're allowed to gather. I mean, you know, that's what matters is, is that I don't want to hear from Governor Murphy that I can have 10 guys, that 10 guys over and not worry about going to jail. We, we have got to get back to where there's some normalcy. But normalcy is not the Fed coming in and saying, you know what? That, that Nicola looks pretty terrific. What is that? Let's just go buy some. I mean, David, I mean, do you think the Fed was long grub up? Did they hit that one? I don't No, I don't think the, the Fed is playing risk garb these days. I'm pretty confident that the they're Fed not. The Fed was buying Hertz? Although I mean, they are, who says this stuff? They come they, on air. No. And, and honestly, they come on air and I'm thinking, wait a second. Is this Comedy Channel? You, you don't want the Fed to be buying stocks. Here we're, we're at all-time highs. Fed should be selling. No. But they have bolstered the financing market, which, you know, of course, in a significant way, even without committing that much capital, which in turn has sort of gotten a lot of things moving, including speculation. Well, I think that's great. I don't want we do not need with 22 million unemployed to have everybody who works for an airline start uh, having to to worry. What we do need is people who take trips uh, and we need people who feel like they're not uh, COVID incubators. I, I continue to want to take to be te- I'd like to be tested uh, every two or three days if I can. And uh, I got my daughter flying in from Madrid and I, I, I want her tested. I want everyone tested on that plane. And, and that's not happening yet. Until that happens, I do not think you're going to see a return of the of the casual traveler. And as we know from Zoom, business is you, I mean, how many, I, I was with someone who's, who uh, is the CEO of a company that has a couple hundred thousand people. He's tired of Zooming. All right. Well, I think we're all tired of Zooming because, you know, Zooming yeah. is like. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want that anymore. <laughs> I mean, give me no. some 5G no. or let me travel. But I, you, know, you go into the airport, it's like, hey, what's this? You know, you're like the airport is it's a house of horrors. House of cruise so, ship. Jim, of you, the you companies. You the cruise ship with me, David. <laughs> Oh, I, mean, I mean, I mean, let's take ship. Starbucks mm-hmm. as an example, uh, closing uh, 400 in the U.S. and Canada and basically de-emphasizing that sort of third place model where you hang out. Right. I mean, it, for companies that are having to put money on the table and make a bet about that exact dynamic you're discussing, it doesn't sound like they are betting that Regeneron is going to come through in the next quarter or two. No, they're not. And I, I have to soften my comments because we got a bunch of downgrades. I like their plan, which is to take advantage of all the empty storefronts we're going to have and put walk through Starbucks because that way they don't have to worry about congregating. But it's taking a little longer than expected. Everything's taking longer than expected. When, when you see uh, Jack in the Box being a company that's the most strong because they have some uh, high single digit numbers, uh, then you know that something's awry in that group. Uh, I think Kevin Johnson's doing a good job, but boy, they just hated what he had to say yesterday. And they particularly hated the fact that he was saying this is not a change in our forecast. Uh, I don't want Kevin Johnson to lose his uh, um, credibility 
because uh, when everybody says it's a change in forecast except for Kevin, well, then, uh, you know, you have to start wondering whether Kevin should start should start thinking maybe he has to wake up and smell the triple vented cappuccino with skim wet. <clears throat> um, yeah, listen, you've, uh, you've lauded his leadership for the last couple of years. Uh, Jim, and it was a rough go there, but uh, yeah. well, we'll have to wait and see. Um, yeah, overall, you know, Carl, as we await the opening bell this morning, of course, um, we continue to look at a market that the S&P is only down 1.26 only, I say, given everything. We've also seen that move what yet again out of value back into growth. It's been a two day period, I think, that's been pretty violent, guys after the trade in value was the one that was working, at least for a little while. Well, at least Grubhub's updated. Is that more people dining out? There is... No. Well, certainly, guys, uh, as we look at Brett, uh, remarkably weak at the open here, Jim, this call out of Bernstein on Campbell's and Uh. Smuckers and Kellogg, best of the positive fundamental news is over at this point. I mean all going to underperform, uh, that's certainly a commentary that, yeah, we are going to start eating out. Yeah, I mean, I read that piece, and I know that the look, the top in that group came when Campbell's reported, and it was a great quarter, and then it got slammed. And then Smucker reported, and it was a great quarter, and it got crushed. And the, that was the beginning of, well, wait a second, uh, it was nice while it lasted, and now we're back in a world where, you, where you're going to go back to work. It's not happening yet. And I also think that the idea that, that there's just people who are just going to go right to the office is fanciful. But, yeah, that was the top in the group, and the, the pantry moment came and left, uh, even though I think that a lot of people sample some of these things and like them more than they used to. I think Campbell's is going to do better, but it, it's, it went up too much. And, you know, that seems to be a common refrain as I look at the red wall Things did go up too much, and um, they're coming in, except for some of the companies that you um, think about with a recession or that might have a a vaccine or at least monoclonal antibodies. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. uh, I mean, on that note, only eBay I'm looking at right now is one of the winners, so to speak, uh, in this period, of course, up 36 percent year to date uh, is up ever so slightly. Well, David, what's uh, happening with with Colgate, David? Um, Jim, I know you've got a special guest to to bring in for us. Yes, absolutely. Uh, And it's someone who's quite pertinent, particularly with the market down and worried about what the Fed said yesterday is the Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. Uh, Mr. Secretary, thank you so much for coming back on Squawk on the Street. Of course, Jim. It's great to be back with you. You There's been tremendous success with PPP uh, because there have been very few companies that have gone under. Uh, And I think that what I was surprised about, Mr. Secretary, is there's still some money left when the money, frankly, is uh, something that keeps businesses alive. Uh, it, It seems quizzical. What's going on? Well, Jim, first of all, we we couldn't be more pleased with the success of the PPP, and you saw that in the unemployment numbers. So not only did we save millions and millions of jobs, but there's no question in my mind the increase in jobs was a direct result of the PPP and reopening the economy. Those are both very important factors. Now, you got to remember, when we asked Congress for money, they were afraid we were going to run out again, so they gave us an extra $60 billion. So when we modeled this, we didn't think we'd end up spending all this money. 
And uh, now, now that we've given the restaurants more flexibility of 24 weeks, which that was the number one ask they had for the president when they came in, my guess is that you're going to see the restaurants come in and now take up a bunch of this money. But uh, we're, we're in productive discussions. Yesterday I was at the SBA committee and huge bipartisan support for this program. Well, look, uh, as someone who follows the restaurant community well and, and is involved with associations, I think it, it, it has been miraculous because that's where 13 to 14 million people are, are working. But rent. We, we have to talk rent throughout the system because rent's been OK, as there's been a lot of forgiveness for the last couple of months and you can't uh, evict. But that should be the next. You gave great flexibility with PPP. You allowed uh, more money to go toward rent. But what do you do with all the landlords who have mortgages themselves and the restaurants that may not get the traffic in but have to pay that rent? Well, Jim, let me just first comment on the residential side, and I think the moratoriums really helped on the residential side. And, you know, when you look at the numbers and the the number of people, it was not overwhelming, the number of people that needed to do this. So, again, I think that's an indication of the $3 trillion we've pumped into the economy, both in terms of the economic impact payments and PPP and extended unemployment. And on the commercial side, you're right, it, it is more complicated. Um, you have companies, particularly in retail, that are having a lot of issues. Uh, they're going to have to deal with the rent. The, the landlords then have to deal with mortgage payments. And that's why I said yesterday, when we look at the next round of CARES 4, I think one of the things we're really going to need to be very focused on is how do we help the industries that are especially impacted. And I would say, you know, hotels, travel, entertainment, restaurants are right up there. So we're going to need to be much more targeted in making sure that we get people back to work and we help these industries. And the president and I won't be done until we get every single person back to work. Mr. Secretary, how closely do you follow things like the monoclonal antibody test from Regeneron or Lilly or the possible Moderna or J&J vaccines? And I say that because if you give us that bridge, including the $600 unemployment, and we get to the end of the bridge, then things are going to be, uh, look, I'm going to say it, they're going to be spectacular. Uh, So do you monitor it and say, you know what, we got to keep this thing going? Or does there come a time where you just say, all right, we've done everything we can and let's hope science prevails? Well, we're never going to say we've done everything we can. We're going to do everything until we get rid of this virus, both economically and on the medical side. You did mention the unemployment. Let me just be clear. You know, we knew there was an issue with the unemployment where some people were getting paid more to stay home than to work. So whatever we do with unemployment, we're going to fix that. But on the medical side, and I can't comment on any specific one of these, but I can tell you we had a very productive update this week at the task force. The vice president led us, and we had a presentation on both the viral and the vaccines and the investments that the U.S. government is making. And I'm I'm quite optimistic in the medical progress that we have made and what will be done between now and the end of the year. And, Jim, let me just say, as we reopen the economy, you know, as as I have said before, I, I think you're going to see a pretty big rebound in the third and fourth quarter. I know the blue chip survey for GDP has a growth rate of 17 percent in the third quarter. So with the reopening of the economy, with the $3 trillion plus a, a new round in CARES 4, uh, I think you're going to see a lot of Americans getting back to work. Mr. Secretary, when you look at the increases in cases in certain states, largely in the South, 
what do you make of that? And how is Treasury modeling for a potential second wave? Is that something you're actively uh, trying to model in? And, and what would policy look like if that, in fact, happened? Well, Treasury isn't, med- isn't modeling the medical side. We're leaving that to the task force. And, you know, I'd say the good news is, again, plenty of hospital capacity, a lot of progress on testing. I think we're over 20 million people that have been tested and will continue to test people. So the good news is you have a lot of capacity of testing and hospitals. And that was something that was the big problem and the reason why the president needed to close down parts of the economy. So I think now you're going to see with the reopening, um, yes, you will see there's areas, but contact tracing is getting much better. Uh, the technology is getting much better. So I, I think we'll deal with this in the appropriate way. Uh, Mr. Secretary, I would assume that means we're not going to we're not going to shut down the economy again, in your opinion. We can't shut down the economy again. I, I think we've learned that if you shut down the economy, you're going to create more damage and, and not just economic damage. But there are there are other areas and we've talked about this, of medical problems and everything else that get put on hold. I think it was very prudent what the president did, but I think we've learned a lot. And I also would just say the fact that Congress, the House, the Senate responded with the administration in an unprecedented way to put $3 trillion in the economy. I heard you had Ron Johnson on this morning, and and, and he said this. We discussed this last night, actually. There's only about $1.6 trillion of that money actually in the economy. So, you know, over the next month, you're going to see over another trillion dollars pumped into the economy. That's going to have a big impact. We have the Fed program. We have Main Street, which is going to be now up and running. And we're prepared to go back to Congress for more money to support the American worker. So we're going to get everybody back to work. That's, the, that's my number one job, working with the president, and we're going to do that. Yeah, well, when it comes to getting back to work, uh, uh, Mr. Secretary, and this is a question I asked the vice president last week when he joined us. I think I've asked you as well. The states, there are many that are in uh, uh, fairly dire fiscal situations in terms of not collecting anywhere near the tax revenues they originally budgeted for this year. And cuts in their municipal workforces uh, are occurring and may occur at a higher rate. What about more aid to the states? I know it was part of the last deal, but it may not in many ways be nearly enough. Are you considering that in the next go round? Well, of course, it's going to be subject to a discussion. Uh, you know, we've talked to, to Senator Kennedy, who uh, has a potential bill that will create more flexibility for the money that we've already given out. Uh, that's something that's being complicated, uh, contemplated. Um, and, and there's other things. Now, I, I will say the flexibility we've already given from Treasury, make sure that all of the policemen, firemen, first responders get paid. We've also put out guidance that we expect the states to send money down to cities and, and local communities. A lot of that money is still being held at the state level. But th- this is a complicated issue. You know, if the federal government sends more money to the states, it's in essence some states subsidizing other states. And again, where there have been hot spots, we've sent a lot of money to that area for, for hospitals and other things. But this will be something we'll be discussing on a bipartisan basis and making a decision when we go forward. Mr. Secretary, uh, a man I know, uh, you know, and a man you respect, Ray McGuire, was on our air yesterday, head of M&A for City, and just a, a titan in the industry. 
And he talked about minority investing. He talked about minorities and he talked about minority business and how there's not enough reference to it. And I know you care passionately about this, too. And I, I, I am concerned that the, it is great that you're doing PPP. And, you know, I think it's a terrific program. You know, I think that the programs you're doing are really bridging us to when things get better. But how about the minority business people that did, did get hurt in uh, in in, in protest in uh, riots that followed peaceable protests that I, I know I supported? Is there any way to earmark? I mean, I know you care about this. What can you do personally to direct the money toward the minority businesses that were really hurt? Well, I've known Ray for a long time, and it was great to hear him on the show. And he is a great American success story, and we need to make sure that more people have opportunities for education and have opportunities for the success that that he's done. He's a great person. Um, let, Let me just say that we all need to do a better job at creating opportunities. Uh, But having said that, that's very different from the looting and the damage that went on to small businesses. And we shouldn't confuse these two issues. There was no excuse for the looting and destruction. Uh, One of the things I got asked yesterday at the SBA hearing was whether we've estimated the damage on the looting. That's something we're looking for. There was some discussions whether uh, we should allow for uh, that to be picked up in, in the next bill. But we've got to make sure that people that were hurt by looting, whether they were minority businesses or not, that, that's just, we can't go through that again. But uh, we all need to do a better job, and we're focused on CDFI lending to small businesses. Excellent. And last question, Mr. Secretary. Uh, there are a bunch of us who are all trying to figure out, frantically, uh, what we can do as restaurant small business owners. Uh, we the, the patchwork is so hard, sir. Uh, Jersey's different from uh, New York State. New York State's different from New York City. It, it can, what do you think we should do? I mean, honestly, I, you're a straight shooter. Can some, can you help advise some of these governors and mayors about what the right thing is? We want to open. We want to do business. And we don't know if we're doing it right. We don't know if we're going to get in trouble. We don't know if uh, we don't have a clue. And, and you can help us. What should we do? Well, Jim, restaurants are a big part of the economy and a big part of small business and employment. So, it's, it's an area that we very much want to support. We made a change to the PPP. The president wants us to very seriously bring back the deduction for people going to restaurants. Uh, that's something that's, that's very important to spur it. And, you know, I, I've gone out to local restaurants the last few nights because I want to support local restaurants here. And let me tell you, I've been impressed with the social distancing and how they've been able to do it. What makes no sense to me is you can eat outside, but you can't eat inside. And I I don't see why we can't have proper social distancing inside in restaurants. And obviously, if it rains outside... You can't eat outside. So I think I think that restaurants can open in a safe way, but this is an industry that's going to need a lot of help, continued help, until we have a virus and a viral, which I'm very confident we're making incredible progress on those fronts. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, thanks so much for calling in today. Squawk on the street. Thank you. Carl? Well, Jim, I mean, a couple of the the headlines appear to be we are prepared to go back to Congress for more money and a trillion dollars to be pumped into the economy uh, in the next month. And then, of course, the answer to David's question, too, David, uh, we are not going to shut down the economy again, something we've been trying to highlight. The political will to do that in the fall is just not there. 
Yeah, we just can't. I mean, no, I, that, I do think that yeah. the, I like what he said very much about also about the idea that we can open up, but there's just a vast confusion. And, of course, his comments uh, echoing uh, Ray McGuire, uh, the city M&A uh, principal, uh, about what has to do what have to do with uh, uh, damage of riots for minority businesses, but for all businesses, is, uh, I think many business people are very grateful for. Yeah, um, you know, listen. I think the uh, it's been made clear, and he obviously is leading the charge. This economy is not getting shut down again, uh, regardless of of what happens in terms of the caseload um, on on COVID nineteen um, state by state. It would appear we are going to move forward. Uh, in terms of reopening the U.S. economy. Um, We talked with the Secretary of the Treasury about restaurants, which actually is a good segue to our next topic, which involves a big deal that was announced uh, late yesterday. That is uh, Justice Takeaway acquiring uh, Grubhub uh, fresh off the conference call and when they were explaining uh, some of the merits of the transaction. Is Grubhub's CEO, uh, Matt Maloney, who joins us now on a first on CNBC. Uh, Matt, nice to have you this morning. Um, the potential deal is one I've been reporting a good deal on over the last few weeks, as you may know. Uber obviously had engaged with you for quite some time. Um, you chose to go in this direction. It's been my understanding that you believe and your board believes consolidation is something that's necessary in your business. And yet you chose to go with a, with a company that's not going to consolidate the level of competition in the U.S. probably only will exacerbate that competition. So why was this deal the better deal than what Uber had on the table? Yeah, Dave, great to finally meet you. Uh, I have been uh, watching your, your reporting because frequently you are breaking information that is uh, before I even find out about it, which is uh, a unique position to be in. But I, look, let, me, let me describe <laughs> it this way. The board had a very easy decision to make. Regardless of our options, we went with uh, a much higher offer with much more deal certainty that brought us significantly more, uh, or I should say significant financial strength and flexibility to continue doing what we're doing now. So it, our, if you read our shareholder letters, uh, third quarter last year, we outlined the challenges and the opportunities in front of uh, food ordering and meal delivery in the United States. It very clearly laid out our strategy and our strategy was working. Pre-COVID, we were 150 to 200 basis points ahead of our plan that we put forward. Obviously, through this COVID crisis and the stay-at-home orders, uh, delivery and pickup has really accelerated, and that has put us in an even better position. And so we we weren't looking to sell the company. We were actually drawn into a process. And by the time the board started evaluating numbers, which you were uh, clearly reporting on, that allowed many other players uh, in the world to realize what was potentially about to happen. And so I can say that Yitza and his team at Takeaway moved exceptionally fast. We're very much aligned strategically Uh, from a vision perspective. I've known Yitza for a decade, and they know the bogey. So they came in and destabilizing the U.S. uh, food delivery market, it's a strategic imperative for them. And so you have to think about the the global dynamics and the the global leadership strategy at play when you put the most valuable food ordering platform in the world, potentially on the market. 
Um, you know, it's something that they have been emphasizing in the comments, at least briefly here, that, that we've had from them on the call and in the press release and the like, Matt, is there's going to be a transformation in execution of your business. Does that imply that somehow you have not been effectively executing? Are you saying those are comments from the takeaway team? Yes. Yes. That's I'm quoting from some of the things that they've said, that this will include a transformation in execution. Okay. No, I just got off the investor call with them and thousands of investors, and that definitely was not the story. The story is they believe in our strategy. They believe in our execution. Uh, I had a conversation with Yitza the day we had our initial shareholder letter outlining the strategy, which we have executed against uh, very successfully to date. So there is no transformation in execution. What this is, is increased financial strength and stability so we can continue doing what we're doing right now. We are winning back share. We are winning back share in the tier three markets and the broader rural and suburban markets. Our strategy of excessive economic rewards to incentivize new diner attraction and retention is working. We are working towards giving away a billion dollars this year through our loyalty pipelines from restaurants to consumers. This is not our dollars. This is not our shareholders' investments. This is directly supporting loyalty uh, from independent restaurants and enterprise restaurants to consumers. This is all working. Right. What the just eat transformation, what the what the shareholder transformation does, is it allows us to continue on this strategy as a much broader, more diversified organization where we can tap into revenue and profits from the UK, from Germany, from the Netherlands, from Canada, from Australia, and on and on. Right. But it would seem then, Matt, to imply that the U.S. market is going to become even more competitive, that instead of taking out a competitor, for example, as the Uber deal would have done, which clearly was going to raise antitrust concerns, you're going to be bringing even more money uh, in. And am I wrong, making it even more competitive uh, in terms of pricing? I think that helps us because I think we were winning. And so by doubling down on a winning strategy, I feel like it's only going to be positive for our shareholders. And then uh, ultimately, the just eat takeaway shareholders. But I think you still need to to take a step back and think about we are the most valuable asset in the world because we are the only profitable player in the world's largest food delivery and takeout market. And so if you think about the ramifications five years down the road, the U.S. is a must win market for anyone who claims to be the global leader. And so allowing uh, a U.S. competitor, specifically Uber, to rationalize the U.S. market and generate hundreds of millions of dollars in profit, then that would be transported to other countries and specifically European capitals. That was an unacceptable outcome for any of the global leaders uh, out there right now. So you have to think about the broader workings and how, um, you know, and, and how this process unfolded and why there is so much value being created for, for Grub shareholders. I mean, 60% premium from a pre-rumor basis until uh, the night before last, uh, what, it, it was a $75 deal on the table before yeah, yeah. Uh, the leak happened. I get it, but you were close. Matt, you were really up. close with Uber. I mean, you were close. One nine two five. you had the ratio done. I mean, it was just about them not agreeing necessarily to your concerns on antitrust, right? Uh, you just no, couldn't get there no. on that, but it wasn't about price. No. no, no, that's not true at all. That's not true at all. See, uh, I think, no? unfortunately, you've been privy to a very one-sided narrative. Uh, at least that's what I've seen. Uh, through your reporting on the well, last no, few months. that's not this true. I've, I've been speaking to there both was, sides, oh, as Matt, you well know, fair. all the time, Matt. Come on, you know me, that. 
No, no way. Uh, no. I mean, I've been presenting, Excuse in fact, your, your valid concerns about antitrust. You know that. That's, Come on. That is. Um, so I, I'm not going to debate that with you. What I will say is that the offer was dramatically different. It was a much higher offer. It was a, a mid 60s ish offer uh, versus a $75 offer. There was no comparison in terms of economics. There was no comparison in terms of uh, uh, confidence to get the deal done. And then here we are in a position where we can continue executing across our aggressive uh, financial uh, uh, competitive strategy and win. All right, Matt, uh, other than that, I think quizzical dispute with David, who I think is, has reported on this excellently, uh, you got a new owner. Uh, you're going to own 30 percent. How about taking a pledge right here, right now? Uh, you, you Can you just uh, dramatically discount uh, what you charge minority uh, restauranters? They're, they're in trouble. Uh, I know you. I know you as a good guy. Can you just do that? Tell your uh, go to your new owners and say, listen, we got to do something. We're in a country. America is a country that's uh, that's sure. torn right now. And we want to I want to just say personally, we're going to cut the fees to these restaurants. Yeah, uh, Jim, as you know, all restaurants are hurting. All re- you were just talking to the secretary Mnuchin. All restaurants are hurting. We have already given over $100 million to support independent restaurants to really try to make sure this works. I also recognize that in the middle of a pandemic, we are going through some some major struggles in terms of our our race relations. And we are doing uh, everything we can to support minority-owned restaurateurs as well as the broader restaurateurs. Now, we are right now trying to figure out a way to deconstruct our pricing uh, to make sure that our, our pricing is extremely transparent there's been a lot of misunderstanding, as you and I have talked about before, in terms of what we charge and how we charge. And it's resulted uh, uh, in uh, multiple uh, regulatory uh, uh, situations, attention being placed on us during the crisis. And we think it's all um, misconstrued. So I'm we're not, trying to figure know, out I'm a way to break it that. down. Right. Yeah, no, I, I know that. I know that. We all know, look, to deliver food, it costs 25 percent right. of the order. So any fee cap that's lower than 25 percent doesn't even fund the the literal delivery of the food. So there's, there's a lot of misunderstandings. We're trying to break it down. Look, we make our profit through advertising. We help restaurants sell more food. We pass through the cost for everything else. And so being able to create a situation for restaurants really understand what they're paying for to grow their business versus what they're paying for for the logistics of the situation is, is um, what we're trying to solve for. Because we look, we don't have a business mm-hmm. if restaurants don't have a business. And that's what we keep saying. All right. Have you ever thought, I mean, we just had the Treasury Secretary on. He was talking about possibility of third quarter growth of 17 percent. That's the blue chip survey. Might it just uh, paid to hold on? You had uh, you had solved the promiscuous diner problem. You also have incredible technology that I have seen and been privy to about what you can do uh, with growth coming back. Why not hold on? man? I thought the world was your oyster. Look, what we're doing now is doubling down on a strategy that's working. We are seeing growth accelerate dramatically. The only reason you don't see much higher numbers, look, Takeaway just announced that in April and uh, May, they had nearly 50% growth. In, in, in markets, in aggregate, they're larger uh, than, than where we are. We had incredible, incredible growth in, in April and, and May as well. We're doubling down on a strategy that's working. We're, we have the financial strength and flexibility now to, to execute like this hyper-competitively for years upon years. And that's what was really weighing our stock down as we outlined in the third quarter. 
Right. And we should point out the stock is up to your point, of course, given the ratio here. It is in euros, by the way, for people who may be a bit confused when they just apply the ratio to Just Eat's takeaway share price. But, Matt, you seem to be saying that you're going to bring even more competition to the U.S. market. I mean, is it going to be a bloodbath in terms of what occurs uh, in pricing? Uh, We'll see. I mean, I think you have for years have competitive competitors that dramatically subsidize the transaction, the the fulfillment, and and oftentimes the food. That is not sustainable. I have said this quarter in and quarter out. The the current methods of execution on my competitors will not work in the long time. There is no intention of driving profits. We have been able to be incredibly profitable while being incredibly competitive, and we turned into that to become more competitive and dropped our profits down to an arbitrarily low number. What we said yesterday was that the Just Eat Takeaway team agree with that strategy and they fully support us for years of investments, leveraging profit pools across the globe. So we will have much more, as I said, financial strength to be as competitive as we need to be to make sure we continue to take back share in what is now the North American market, because we will be executing in Canada as well. Right. And of course, you will be running that business, that part of the business. Matt, final questions on the deal itself. There's some concern that Justice Takeaway will not get a shareholder vote. I know they have the 11 percent founder vote with them. But is that a concern? A and B, there's these issues we call flowback, where you the shares get issued here and then they just end up going back over there because there isn't a U.S. listing. Is that a concern as well for you? No, flowback's not an issue because we've committed to list on the, on the New York Stock Exchange as well. And in terms of shareholder vote, I, I don't think there's any problems that we don't think we can manage. Uh, well, Matt, we certainly appreciate your taking time with us. Congrats on getting to the finish line with the deal. Uh, and thanks again. Uh, Matt Maloney, CEO of Grubhub. Carl. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. Uh, currently, uh, worst drop for the Dow since uh, April 1, Jim. Uh, what's on Matt tonight? Okay, uh, we got, geez, we have Adobe, which I think is going to determine whether we can actually turn around. Uh, Adobe, why? Because Adobe is a lot about e commerce. Adobe has been the leader of the Cloud Kings. I think it'll matter. Manny Chirico, PVH, will we possibly have any sort of comeback for apparel? And then a stock that's just been a huge winner, uh, L3 Harris. It's a, as David knows, one of the re- more remarkable M&A moments uh, when you combine uh, L3 and Harris, and it's been a big winner. I, 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 you know, Shantanu Narayan is uh, one of my uh, – is as close to an idol as I can have in business because he's given away more to poor schools than anyone, and he's a great equalizer, and you know this is a focus for all of us now. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.